All right, why don't we stand together? I'm going to read uh, 3 John 9 through 15. This is our passage for today. And we'll finish up our sermon series in 2 and 3 John. This is 3 John, verse 9. These are the words of Scripture. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be uh, together. Uh, We're called to not forsake the gathering of believers. And when we come and we sing and we hear from your word, we take communion and we pray together, um, we're doing what you've commanded us to do. And in that, we want to be obedient, not to earn more of your love, but because you've already first loved us enough to send your son to die. Um, We pray that the power of the resurrection, not the power of our flesh or the power of our self-esteem or the power of our intellect or the power of our creativity, but the power of the resurrection would flow through your Holy Spirit into this church and that as we go on mission into your city, many people will be created and made new by Jesus Christ. We thank you for this sermon series and what it spoke to us. We pray for today's sermon that you would bless it. The words of my mouth would be uh, pleasing to you. The meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. As I said, we're finishing our series today in 2nd and 3rd John. The sermon series was titled Christianity, A Journey in Truth and Love. We've talked for several weeks now about the fact that truth and love are connected And yet we see many times in our culture that we want to separate those two. Uh, We want to be loving people, but we run from the truth. Or we want to be so truthful that we are not very loving. And those two things are connected. You cannot have one without the other. Jesus said that he embodied both of those things. That he is truth and that he is love. And God has created us to be in relationship with him. So if he says that if we love him will obey his commands. It's another statement of the truth that that these two things are interrelated. They are connected. The way that you know what truth is, um, you might think it's watching cable news. It's not. It's reading your Bible. It's reading your Bible. That's where you know where the truth is. And so when Jesus says, if you love God, you will obey his commands, what he is speaking to is the fact that if you love God, You will read his word, you will understand what he is commanding you to do, and you will do it if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's not to earn more love from God because he has already demonstrated all the love that you could possibly have. It is in response or worship to what he has already done. He loved you, he died for you. In response to that, you obey what he has commanded you to do if you love him. Now we live in a time and place Uh, where I believe there are divergent views or false views 
of what following Jesus entails. Most common is something that I would call and has been called spirituality, where Jesus is used as a moralistic therapeutic deity instead of viewed as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You don't come to Jesus to become more spiritual. You come to Jesus because He is the author of life. He is the author of truth. He has created you to be in relationship with the Father. And it's only through Jesus Christ that you can have that relationship. Spirituality, in the sense I just spoke of, will not satisfy. And you cannot find it if you're using Jesus just as a moralistic, therapeutic deity. And when we find ourselves using Jesus that way, it leads us to a misunderstanding of what love is. And we have to be shown what true love is by Jesus. He is true love. He offers to make us truly truthful and truly loving. And it's only through his death, his resurrection, and his coming again power that that can happen. You cannot attain that by becoming more spiritual. You cannot attain that by becoming more moral. You cannot attain that by trying to feed your self-esteem. If you want to know what happens to those who who want to feed their self-esteem, go to the story of Lucifer, otherwise known as Satan. He had a self-esteem issue. He wanted his self-esteem to grow, and it caused him to be kicked out of heaven and become the enemy of Jesus forever. Jesus offers to make us truly truthful and truly loving, and he died and rose again to make this happen. Now, throughout these two books, one of the things that I wanted to hit on, and I believe we did hit on uh, fairly thoroughly, was that there is deception not out there in the world, but there can be deception inside of the church. Okay, so inside of the group of people who calls themselves followers of Jesus Christ, there can be deception. And we've talked about that. And as followers, we're to be on guard against deception. We're going to talk about that today. One of the biggest areas, I believe, of growth for the church is understanding that there is good and that there is evil and it is still in existence in the world. So you understand that because you watch the news. You know there's good and evil in the world. And I think we have improperly defined what is good and what is evil. So today, before we jump into this passage, which talks uh, in depth, I believe, about good and evil through the, through the experience of Diotrephes and Demetrius, I want to talk about what we believe as followers of Christ, people who read the text, who try to understand and seek what it means, we should understand what is good and what is evil. And because, you know, I went to Rifle High School, I'm going to make it simple, okay? If you don't know where Rifle is, look it up on the map. Uh, I want to keep it really simple. As Christians, we believe Jesus is good and we are evil. It's kind of a strong message. As Christians, we believe Jesus is good and that humanity is evil. Okay, that, that is a, a strong word, but it is a true word. It is throughout Scripture. It's a correct understanding that our heart's propensity is the beginning 
uh, of evil that there is within us because of the fall of Adam and Eve and our contribution and participation in original sin with them, we have a propensity in our heart to go towards evil. However, when we understand that reality, there is the power of great growth and great grace and the power of the resurrection to grow you. So you have to come to that place where you understand biblically, Jesus is good, humanity is evil, and recognize it, accept it as a reality and a truth, because that is where the beginning of great growth in grace and the power of the resurrection begins to occur in your life. This is the bottom line. We are powerless to do what only Jesus can do in our lives. We are powerless to do what only Jesus can do in our lives. That is one reason why we put up here on the screen every Sunday a prayer and a scripture dealing with repentance and belief that God is graceful enough to forgive us and our receiving of His grace, not because we deserve it, but because He has freely offered it to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. The church, to become what it needs to be in our culture, in our city, on the mission that God has called us to, is has to be a church of repentance and belief, because that is the place where great growth in grace, through the power of the resurrection, happens. That's the reason why we want to live in repentance and belief. Martin Luther is famous for making that quote, all of life is repentance and belief. And with those words, it said in Christian history, was the fire of the Reformation, the the return to the truth and basics of the gospel that we need Jesus Christ to save us. And it's only through grace that we can have a relationship with the Father. It is a repentance um, that we have and, and that we continue to have, that we have violated God's law and we need to understand our need for Christ to grow us out of our sin, to empower us, to be obedient to Him because we love Him. It's a belief that Jesus has paid for all sin for the believer, past, present, and future. And in my notes, I put this. This is the only rock-solid way to live your life. If you believe it's by any other philosophy, any other moral uh, uh, pathway that you think you need to have, by any other spiritual practice you need to do, you will be sorely disappointed. Okay, So we've talked, and we're doing this evangelism class. Today is about evangelism. What is evangelism? It's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And I believe people sitting in here right now don't know who Jesus is. They are not following Him. They have not been saved by Jesus Boy, did you pick a great Sunday to be at church. We're going to talk about what that looks like. There are also followers of Christ who are living in disbelief of the power of the resurrection. And you need to hear this again because the proclaiming of the good news is for you as well. Do you believe that this is the only rock-solid way to live? That God's way, as commanded in Scripture, is the way to live life? Do you believe that truth about yourself, that your heart is evil? Or are you on a treadmill trying to prove that you're basically good without God and you just need Jesus as your guidance counselor for life? 
Do you look at the world with the discernment that only Jesus has the power to save and transform? Or do you lack this discernment and feel everything is pretty much okay? Well, John has some words for all of us. And his words today show his fundamental understanding that it is all about Jesus and it is not about our innate moral good that saves us. We're going to talk about two things today. Evil first and good. Evil first and good. Verses 9 through 10 of this passage we just read tells us what evil looks like. It's mentioning a man named Diotrephes who was a leader in the church and John calls him out. Okay, Can you imagine getting your name in scripture because you got called out by the son of thunder, John himself? That probably isn't the best way you know, to go down in history. But we have diatrophies to look at. He was in the church. He was a leader in the church. I bet he led Bible studies. I bet he had the best brownies at his Bible studies. Did a lot of service projects with his people. You know, had many uh, passages of scripture maybe memorized. He was uh, one of the leaders. He was a guy that people looked to as a leader in the church. And in his life, we see the trajectory of our heart without Jesus. I don't want you to look at Diotrephes and say, oh man, that Diotrephes is a bad guy. I want you to see maybe some of your heart in the life of Diotrephes right now. Because his heart... Like ours, his, his life shows what the trajectory of our heart without Jesus looks like. Number one, what is the trajectory of our heart without Jesus? Well, we like to put me first. We like to put me first. It says it right there in the text. Diotrephes is an enemy of the gospel, is an enemy of Jesus because he likes to put himself first. Folks, let me say this. This is the core, fundamental problem with the human heart. Every single one of us wants to put ourselves first. And when we think of the word evil, we think of those people out there. We think of that person who said this. We think of that group of people doing this. And many times those things are evil. But what we don't understand is that evil exists inside of us because we like to put ourselves first. Inside every one of us is the desire to be top dog, for others to bow down and worship us. Augustine put it this way, pride, which is what I'm speaking of here, wanting to put yourself first, pride is the root of all sin. If you want to know why the world seems to be spinning out of control, and by the way, it's not because Jesus is sovereign over all creation, and one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. Okay? It looks bad. <laughs> okay? Um, you know, recently it's, it's never looked worse. Okay? A um, lot, of, lot of crazy going on. And you know what? We just can't fix crazy. Jesus can Jesus will. Jesus has. We can't fix it, but there are some problems in the world. It is rooted in every human heart's desire to put themselves first. That is the root of everything you see on the television, in the newspaper. Are there still newspapers? Okay. 
Uh, I pick one up every now and then when I'm at a hotel, they're free. Um, you know, everything you see is rooted in the human heart's desire to put me first. This is what the language means. If you were to read the original Greek of this text, and, and John says that Diotrephes liked to put himself first, the language here is the same language used to, to, to have a desire or a love of being royalty and having others treat us like royalty. Okay, so you might want to be the queen of your castle, but Jesus is the king of the cosmos. Okay? So we have that desire to be royalty and to have others treat us like royalty. Let me give you a little admonition. Here's a little admonition. An admonition is a strongly worded charge to help you correct course. You don't deserve to be royalty. You don't deserve to be royalty. You don't deserve to be royalty. I mean, some of us can't even clean our room or balance our checkbook. And we want to be king or queen. Okay, that's, that's crazy. You don't deserve to be royalty. That's why, you know, one of the, the, the founders of our country, um, in, in talking about the tyranny that they were experiencing under English rule, and when they were coming into the freedom and the American Revolution was beginning to foment, uh, foment itself. One of the founders, and I couldn't find exactly who said this, said this. We have no king but Jesus. That is the way you are to live your life. Not serving yourself as king or queen, but serving Jesus as king. What evil looks like, you like to put yourself first. Secondly, what does evil look like? Putting yourself first, putting me first, means that I hate and rebel against authority. Putting me first means I hate and rebel against authority. No, I am not a fan of corrupt authority. Guess what? Scripture is not a fan of corrupt authority. There's corrupt authority. It's supposed to be spoken against. It's supposed to be exposed for what it is. Let me give you an example. Football referees. Okay? Sometimes they're corrupt. They need some correction. That was holding. You didn't get it. I thought that'd be funnier. I didn't know that would be as funny. I'm not a fan of corrupt authority. Who's a fan? Who likes to be you know, bossed around by a corrupt authority figure or figures. Nobody likes that. And so when I'm talking about hating and rebelling against authority, I'm not talking about corrupt authorities. I'm saying to you, wickedness, evil looks like putting you first, meaning you hate and rebel against authority. You hate and rebel. I hate and rebel against a perfect authority. That's what the book of Romans is about. Like if you were to read the book of Romans, you would see in there that we rebel against the perfect authority. Now this is the craziness of this. We rebel against the very person, Jesus Christ, who longs to love and save us from ourselves. And that's where the phrase, you can't fix crazy, comes from. 
You can't fix that kind of crazy. A God creates you, you hate and rebel against him. Jesus comes and dies for you and says, if you love the Father, you'll do as he commands. You rebel against that authority. That, my friends, is crazy. Putting me first means that I hate and rebel against authority. And it's not just a corrupt authority. It is a perfect, loving authority who wants to save us from ourselves. Now, this is where this boils down. Are you coming to Jesus to get fixed spiritually, but you are refusing to follow and obey the law of God? That just seems like that's crazy. Now, you can't fix that, but God can. And that's the miracle of being made a new creation. As you begin to desire to to want to be obedient to God, you begin to desire to want to think thoughts that are pleasing to God. You begin to desire to lay your life down because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords owns your life and died for it. And only in that relationship of Lord, Master, and Servant can you experience the abundance that Jesus has for you on this planet. You can't fix crazy, but, uh, fix crazy, but God can. He can fix your rebellious heart. He can fix the hatred and the rebellion that you have against a perfect authority. Third, what does evil look like? What does evil look like? Evil has a problem with the tongue. Okay? None of us have that problem. I'm just going to skip that point. Evil has a problem with the tongue. You notice what Diotrephes does here? Diotrephes has to keep the propaganda machine going because he has set himself up as being the most important. He has to begin a propaganda uh, uh, campaign to build himself up in spite of the fact that he is deceived. Do you know what propaganda is? It's lies. (laughs) It's half-truths, which are lies. It's quarter-truths, which are lies. It's three-fourths truths, which are lies. Propaganda is lies. It's using the tongue to continue the deception, in this case, that you are the most important person on the planet. And that putting you first is okay. You speak propaganda to yourself all the time. I do as well. It's part of what we do. Diotrephes has a problem with the tongue. And when you get a little older, I'm getting a little older, 47, soon to be 70 it feels like. Um, But when you get older, you can sniff out propaganda. You can sniff it out. You can tell when someone is lying to you, you can call it what it is because you begin to know the truth. John sees Diotrephes, he says, this guy is a propaganda machine. He is speaking lies about us, possibly about what we're teaching I can sniff it out because I know the truth. Like, it's okay when someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to tell you about this great new teaching. You know, this this guru of spirituality or blah, 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 you know, wrote this book and you got to read this book. It's okay to say, hold on um, one second. I'm going to go get my Bible. And what you're telling me, I'm going to compare it with what's in here. And if it doesn't go along with what's in here, it's propaganda. It's a lie. And as I've gotten older and more mature in Christ, 
you can sniff that out. It doesn't mean that you're not susceptible. You can be susceptible. But we have to root, again, truth into our hearts because that's what God um, shows us will keep us from having a problem with the tongue. Evil has a problem with the tongue. Last, what does evil look like? Evil is inhospitable, and this is really important, won't support the missio dei. That's Latin. This uh, area of, of the city has more master's degrees per capita than any other area, so I thought I'd throw some Latin in there for those of you with master's degrees. The missio dei. The missio dei. The mission of God. See? We're not on the missio erone. Okay? Latin, Aaron. Okay? We're not on that mission. We're not on the missio. Throw the name in there. Elway. We're not on that one. We're not on the Missio favorite politician. We're not on the Missio favorite author. We're not on the Missio, put your name in there. We are on the Missio day, the mission of God. And when you are inhospitable and won't support the mission of God, it clearly is evil because what it is showing that, that, that you would never support the mission of a rival king. When you, when you are on Missio Aronne, okay, and, and you're called to support the mission of God, well, that's a rival king. Our heart doesn't want to support that rival king. Many times because that rival king comes to us and says, hey, there's a dark part of your heart that I need to redeem and restore and put you back on the path of being on my mission for my glory. And I am going to root it out of you. And it's going to cause you pain. Would you just bow the knee to me, not, not the rival king, but the only king? When you are on your own mission, when you're into your own mission and your own kingdom, you are inhospitable because that's what we see in the New Testament was very important to the spreading of the gospel was hospitality. You guys know why we like to eat a lot here at New City Church. Well, I like to eat. That's, that's part of it. But we like to be hospitable. We want to practice in the walls of our church the same hospitality that you're called to practice in the walls of your home, in the walls of your office. Okay? That you are showing hospitality to unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, and hospitality to those who are believers who are out there, maybe on the front lines of the Missio Day, because you're there as a support system to them, supporting them in the mission of God. Now, when you're not doing that, that's evil. And it's because you don't want to support the rival king to your life. I've had my moments of wanting to support my kingdom instead of the kingdom of God's. And I can tell you this, when you're into your own mission and your own kingdom, you are building an insignificant, weak, on grains of sand foundation that will be destroyed. Now this is what good looks like. This is what good looks like. Verse 11 through 15, we'll end with this. If we can't be good 
on our own, then what does good look like? What does good look like? Jesus looks awfully good. Right? Awfully good. When you look at the life of Jesus, are you not in awe of his goodness? The ability to talk to people and speak truth to them when they could kill him and did. Uh, the ability to sit down at a well with a woman who was very sexually promiscuous and speak to her, hey, I know your deeds and those deeds are death, but you can have living water. I can transform your heart. I can make you new. I can overcome all sin, past, present, future. Hard words, gentle answer, loving, graceful, oriented towards redemption and restoration. Jesus looks awfully good. If you're not in awe of that goodness, what else can I tell you? I can tell you this. Only Jesus, who was perfect in everything he said and did, could die on a cross so that you could know the Father intimately in right relationship. You could be given new life. The grace of God could be bestowed on you. All of your sins could be forgiven. Folks, that is awfully good. Jesus is good. What does good look like? It looks like Jesus in his life. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, this is what, in this passage, that translates to. If Jesus is good, then like Demetrius, you will want to imitate the man who is truth and love. Like, that is what good is, according to this passage. It says, good is imitating uh, the man who is truth and love. Good, my friends, and this is going to come countercultural to to us because we're sophisticated, smart, good looking. Um, throw in whatever adjective you want to throw in. Good, my friends, is not is not inherent in the human heart. You know, sometimes that. I get it on my little superior high horse, I admit it. But when I hear the phrase, everybody is basically good, um, I want to kick them in the shins as hard as I can and see how they respond. Um, it's just not the truth. It's not the truth. This is so important. Please listen. We'll be done in five minutes. Goodness is given to us by Jesus. Goodness is given to us by Jesus. Second, goodness is practiced and imitated. Now, how do we do that? Goodness is defined by Scripture, and imitation is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can, can I be more clear? 
There is nothing you can do in your flesh to be good because it is a gift given to you by Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to define good outside of the fact that it is already defined by Scripture and you can imitate it only through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That, my friends, is the greatest message that I have ever heard. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. I went to church a lot. I think, I think church was actually my home, and my home was like a vacation getaway from church because I was in that building a lot. And boy, oh boy, did I think I was pretty special going to church that much, doing all the Bible study and the memorization. Very important, very important. But going through the routine of being a Christian and thinking that I would develop good within myself and I would just sprinkle a little Jesus on the top to make myself more appealing. And when I heard that goodness can only be given to me by Jesus, it is a gift. Boy, was I offended. Are you offended today that I just said that goodness can only be given to you by Jesus? And that not everybody is inherently good? I had the same response. And then the Spirit of God gave me a little gift. And He started replaying in my mind everything that I had done to violate the commands and the laws of God. Everything that I had done to hate and rebel against the perfect authority. Mind you, I was a believer. But I was a believer a little bit like the Pharisees were believers in a God, but thought we can reach Him in our own ways and in our own power. And as the Holy Spirit replayed in my mind all the things that I had done to violate, to rebel, and to hate the perfect authority of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I was humbled. Not only was I humbled, but I fell into the slow of despond, the pit of despair. Because my whole world, which was built on the sand foundation of myself being able to morally reach God, came crumbling down. And the Holy Spirit of God said to me, It's really bad. It's really bad, Aaron. You have a surface of holiness or a surface of moralism, but your heart is dark and wants to hate and rebel against the perfect authority, Jesus Christ. And I cried out. I mean, literally cried out. What must I do to be saved? How will I get out of this pit of despair knowing that Everything I built on this sand foundation has come crumbling down. He says, you need to imitate Jesus. Goodness is a gift. Salvation is a gift. It's defined by Scripture. And it's imitated through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Wow! No more moral perfection that I can't attain on my own, that Jesus was morally perfect on my behalf? Yes. No more guilt, condemnation, cycle back, penance, do something to try and please God so that He'll be happy with me today. I don't have to do that anymore. No! 
Because when God sees you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. He loves his son. He has adopted you into his family. He loves you as an adopted son in his family. You mean I don't have to wake up one day feeling like I've lost some salvation or my salvation and then try to earn it back and then lose it and try to earn it back? No. When it's given to you, it is given to you forever. It is a gift from Jesus. If you're in the son's hands, who is in the father's hands, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. So the pit of despair became this mountaintop of joy, of peace, of relief. Do you want relief? John, at the end of this, calling out Diotrephes, talking about Demetrius, explaining what good and evil is through the lives of these two men. At the end of this, do you notice his words in verse 13 through 15? It results in love and peace. Folks, you might not think you want that. You want Jesus' love and Jesus' peace more than anything else in the universe. I guarantee it. And if you haven't experienced it, maybe today Jesus is saying to you, believe and receive. It's free. It overcomes all of your sin. I don't care what you've done in the past. Jesus can save you, redeem you, and restore you. If you haven't done that, I beg with you and plead with you, like Paul did, to turn to Jesus Christ as the only king because you first won't work. Now some of us who are followers of Christ, we want to go along to get along. We've lost our saltiness and our light. I challenge you with this, if that's you. I don't want to go along to get along. I want to radically follow Jesus Christ. And when I do that, I, like John, can speak to my friends and even to my enemies and have a love for all of them and a peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't come through going along to get along. It comes through following Jesus Christ. Do you know this truth and this love? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? We're going to do communion. And I want you to take a moment before we go to communion. And I want, to answer, I want you to answer those questions. Who is first? I was sitting in a college conference. Last story and then we'll go to communion. I was sitting in a college conference thought I was pretty cool, had a full ride scholarship to a great university. Um, I had a couple friends, that was nice. <laughs> I thought I was pretty special. And I went to a, a conference and it was explained to me the, the life that you want to have can only be given to you through the laying down of your life. Those are Jesus' words. For those of you who want to find life, you must lose it. You must lose your life for Christ's sake. Jesus, if you're a Christian, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. He doesn't want to share the throne. 
and it might get really adventurous. It might blow your mind when you come to the communion table, remember Jesus' body, his blood, body broken for us, blood shared, uh, shed for us for the forgiveness of sins, and that you can have the ability through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to imitate Jesus Christ. He'll send you on an adventure that you can't imagine. If you don't know Jesus, I pray today that you will believe in and receive him as Lord and Savior. And if that happens for you today, that Jesus gives you the gift of goodness that you can't even repel because his love is overwhelming. His grace is overwhelming. He saves you in this moment right now. Come to the communion table. Take the bread representing his body. Dip it in the wine or the juice representing the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future. And you will be on an adventure you can't imagine. Let's pray. Father, This could be an opportunity for those of us who just don't understand the depth of your love and grace. It could be an opportunity to live in condemnation and guilt. When in fact, the opposite is true. No matter what we have done, said, believed, all of it can be forgiven. If we know Jesus is Lord and Savior, it's already been forgiven. So let us come to this table in remembrance of Jesus who died on a cross, who rose from the grave and calls us to imitate him not through our own power but through the power of his Holy Spirit. We pray peace and love. Peace and love for our hearts and for those around us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.